Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights Call. Throughout this call, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Gavin Ralston and Keith Wade. Please go ahead with your meeting. Hello and welcome to the call and podcast for this week. Uh, this is Gavin Ralston. With me is Keith Wade, our Chief Economist, and we're live on Tuesday, November the 13th. Today, we're going to be discussing Keith's perspective on the latest macroeconomic news, particularly on the US and China, and our views on the market implications of what's happened. The big event of last week was, of course, the US elections, which produced a result exactly in line with what Phil Chandler said a week ago markets were anticipating. Nonetheless, there was an immediate and positive reaction from equity markets, which gave way after a day or so to a much more negative tone. What seems to have happened is that equities have been undermined by less good corporate news, particularly in the technology sector, on stories of weakness in demand for Apple's products, obviously the iPhone, and this has rippled through Apple's supply chain in technology companies in Asia. Bond yields, by contrast, have been trading in a very narrow band, and the other standard feature of markets in the last week has been the continuing fall in the oil price. I also promise that we won't devote any time parochially to Brexit this week. Suffice it to say that we're now in the, the end game for completing a deal between the UK and the EU in time for it to be ratified in a European summit before the end of the year. Uh, if you want a more detailed briefing on the implications of Brexit, I would refer you to the August and September editions of the economics team's uh, economic and strategy viewpoint. But going back to the US and the elections, Keith, can you uh, just take us through the implications for markets of what happened at the ballot box? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Gavin. Um, so I think there are some implications uh, from this, uh, although a lot of commentators are saying it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference. I do think it will make a difference to fiscal policy. Uh, I think it's much less likely now that we get the tax cuts that uh, Donald Trump would like to put in place to boost the economy in 2020. And uh, as I'm sure many of you are familiar from our, our own presentations, we do think that there is an issue for the US about the strength of fiscal policy in 2020, because the current plans really fade away completely by that time. And uh, that would mean the economy would slow quite substantially in 2020 without that support. So I and think that, uh, that slowdown yeah. will be visible only in 2020, or do you expect to see some weakness in 2019 I think, as well? I think actually there will be some weakness in 2019, probably in the second half. Yeah, definitely. So it would become apparent, and I think it, that's probably actually when the market's going to start reacting to it, and it will certainly be anticipating it. Um, I mean, it could be said that uh, infrastructure spending might provide a channel through which the, um, the president and the Democrats in Congress can agree uh, and, and provide some stimulus. Uh, this, is, this is a possibility. Uh, I would say, though, that there are very long lags on infrastructure, not just one or two years, but sometimes three or four years before they actually have an effect, so it may not come through quickly enough. But the other issue for the Democrats, of course, is you know how much support do they want to give to um, President Reagan in his bid to get re-elected? And uh, you know, he he could find things quite difficult. President Trump, I think, not President Reagan. Oh, sorry, died several years ago. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, see if you notice that, uh, President Trump. Um, so I think there's there's little likelihood of that. Um, so there'll be less support. 
Having said all that, I think it's worth just saying something that whilst fiscal policy is less likely, uh, other people have argued that uh, a deal on the China trade is more likely because if, if Trump can't do the fiscal policy, then he'll think, well, you know, maybe I should do a deal with China and uh, that would actually help the economy. Uh, I think that would certainly make a, a lot of logical sense, but um, you know, President Trump in many ways may not see that as being politically the most advantageous thing to do since it seems to me that he gets a lot of benefit from the trade wars. Uh, it's all part of the America First policy. His base, um, you know, see getting tough on China as being, you know, an important part of what they voted for. And in, in market terms, obviously, any progress on a trade deal would be very positive. Yes, I think it would be. And, and the market is reacting to that. You see the way that particular stocks are behaving. You know, they have been hit by that. So any good news on that would be would help the markets. The the, the date to look for there is at the end of November when the G20 summit takes place in Buenos Aires. Uh, both Xi Jinping and Donald Trump will be at that summit. And so there has been talk about some you know, historic handshake over a deal. Um, my view and our, the economics team view is that that is unlikely, that uh, a lot of progress needs to be made before they can actually get to that point. So if, if growth is slowing maybe from 2019 onwards, with no flexibility on no political flexibility on tax cuts, what does that do to the inflation outlook? Would you be concerned this year that mm. markets were complacent on the outlook for inflation? Yeah, well, we t we still think inflation is going to be a, be an issue uh, going forward uh, and into 2019, um, and and that's really reflecting the the strength of growth that we've had this year. That will continue to to fuel increases in prices, but. You know, once it becomes clear that the economy is beginning to slow down next year, um, I think you know markets and particularly the Fed will be looking forward into the later part of 2019 and into 2020, when you be, will begin to see some easing of inflationary pressure. So, I think it could be a very interesting year. It will look quite stagflationary next year because I think inflation will remain elevated in the U.S. and growth will be slowing down. And where does the Fed come into all this uh, in terms of what are your expectations for increases in the Fed funds rate relative to what the market is expecting? So um, our view is that the Fed will hike rates to 3% by the middle of next year. Um, and I think that's pretty much priced into uh, the front end of curves at the moment. Um, it's a little bit below what's called the dot plot, the plot from the members of the FOMC, the median of which suggests that interest rates do carry on rising and go up to 3.5%. Um, but, but our view is that um, the slowdown in the economy will be sufficient for the Fed to actually stop hiking rates by the middle of the year and to feel that they've already done enough in terms of tightening to bring inflation down. The difficulty for the Fed will be the fact that inflation won't really start to improve until 2020. So there will be pressure on them to raise rates by more from the market. Um, and that's where they've got to be careful, because I think if they raise rates too much, then they could possibly cause a recession in 2020 by effectively over-tightening. And that sounds like a very negative outcome where the Fed makes a policy error mm -hmm and it starts to put pressure on economic growth um, as well as on inflation. Yes, that's right. And that, that's the sort of classic kind of policy error because, you know, in every cycle, inflation is a lagging indicator. And so uh, the central bank tends to kind of keep, keep raising rates to the point at which they're absolutely sure that uh, unemployment's going up and the economy is slowing. 
But I think we, sh we should put it in perspective. Although, you know, we see inflation being above target, it is going to be running at around about two and a half. So it's not a huge amount above target. It isn't as though they have to tighten a huge amount to, to get inflation back under control. I think the labor market will be critical. The wage growth uh, numbers will be, will be critical in that respect. Um, you know, if wages were to accelerate particularly strongly, then um, whilst um, uh, President Trump might be welcoming that, um, the, the Fed may become more concerned about inflation and the impact of that on cost pressures. And uh, so, so that might be a reason why they would, would tighten quite aggressively. We do think that wages will accelerate a little bit um, with pay growth accelerating up, say, to 3.5% or so. And again, though, although that is a rise, I don't think that's enough to justify the, French, the, the Fed having to really cr crunch the economy. Let's move away from the U.S. for a moment because mm -hmm. you, you published an interesting piece uh, yesterday about the move towards uh, governments relying on fiscal policy rather than central banks driving economies with monetary policy. And essentially what you were saying is that other countries are beginning to adopt the strategy the U.S. has apparently successfully adopted. Can you just amplify on that for a moment? Yes, okay. Uh, so, so really what this piece was really looking at the recent data on growth and, uh, and uh, making the point that the slowdown that, the, that we've seen uh, has really been concentrated in, in economies that have been very dependent on global trade growth. And the fact that the US hasn't slowed down is really reflecting the fiscal policy that's been put in place there. Uh, and so other countries can see this, that the fiscal policy lever is clearly working. And uh, we have actually already seen China announced uh, an increase in personal tax allowances to the lower paid people. And so that's, you know, providing some fiscal easing. And China's also talking about cutting uh, taxes on uh, car purchases and uh, also potentially on uh, value added tax. So, you know, they are, they are using that lever quite actively. So uh, I was saying, well, you know, we could see more of that coming through. Um, you know, we, we're seeing a little bit of it coming through in Japan, some of that is reconstruction spending, which obviously has to happen as a result of the natural disasters. But um, Abe is quite keen to offset some of the increase in consumption tax next year. So he's announced a program of spending more on education for uh, pupils in Japan. So they are finding ways of offsetting that. I guess the really big one, though, is, is the European Union. Um, and uh, we, this is coming very much into focus at the moment, of course, because um, the European Commission is going to publish its verdict on uh, Italy's budget, and then we expect, expect them to put them into the what's called the excessive deficit procedure. So, so they're kind of stopping the fiscal expansion from taking place, although we actually are of the view that the uh, heads of state will probably allow Italy a little bit of leeway on fiscal expansion. Um, but I think other countries will probably be saying, well, look, you know, this is a good way of boosting growth at a time when activity has been disappointing, so there will be more pressure. And, and if you look at the experience of the U.S., if you measure it by the relative performance of U.S. equities against other equity markets, mm. having expansionary fiscal policy has been greeted very favorably and without too much upside pressure on bond yields either. So is it an equally favorable outlook for the other countries that attempt a similar route? Yeah, I, I, I think it could be because fears about growth have been one of the reasons why we've had that divergence in equity market performance. And, uh, you know, the U.S. has stood out because it has been able to maintain consistent growth and consistent earnings per share growth. Uh, and people have become more concerned about the, the earnings growth in Europe 
uh, and elsewhere, and particularly China, of course, which has been affected by the trade wars, you know, those markets have really suffered. So, you know, whilst we may be pessimistic on the outlook for the trade wars, it might be that fiscal policy could kind of ride to the rescue for some of these other markets outside the U.S. Mm. And the other point, the other implication to draw out of what you were saying on the U.S. is that with, with growth weakening next year and into 2020 and inflation possibly less of an issue uh, later in that progress, the, the upwards pressure on the dollar may mm. be diminished. Uh, the upwards pressure coming from rising U.S. interest rates. And that should be good news for the rest of the world and emerging markets in particular. Yeah, I think this is an important point because we can we can actually get quite gloomy about the outlook. And, you know, I'm talking about a slowdown in growth and we are finding it difficult to see signs that, that trade growth is going to pick up and so on. Uh, and, of course, the fading of fiscal policy. But, of course, I think that one of the key things next year will be the markets will be anticipating the peak in Fed funds rate and um, the currency markets always tend to move ahead uh, of the rates market. So what we're saying is we could see a peaking out of the dollar next year, probably in the first half of the year, maybe in Q2. And I think that would be very important because, you know, certainly for emerging markets, that's been the, seen as the key catalyst that they've been looking for to start enjoying some better performance. And of course, if the dollar begins to weaken, it will actually help to loosen liquidity conditions uh, in the emerging markets and particularly in, uh, in Asia and Latin America, uh, where those liquidity conditions have been tightening and, and really been providing uh, a headwind to the market. So that could be the silver lining next year from a, a bit of a slowdown in U.S. growth. And obviously the big emerging market is China. Mm. And in, in, the, in their case, they're looking at um, trying to pull up a trick of maintaining growth keeping the currency at above seven to the dollar, and at the same time dealing with the huge amount of leverage in the economy. Can they do all three? Well, it's certainly very challenging. I think it'd be very challenging for any any central bank. And uh, I've recently been uh, uh, looking at some of the long-run prospects for China, and uh, people highlight also the other factors. The demographics are very poor. But that, that this is more of an immediate issue that you're addressing. And I, I think in many ways this really reinforces the case for fiscal policy in China because that's the, the one thing that they can do to try to maintain growth in this environment. But, you know, having said that and, uh, you know, having just been discussing this issue with Craig Botham, our emerging markets economist, you know, when he's been thinking about the outlook for China next year, and, and he, he does feel that China probably will allow the renminbi to go through seven, and, and we are expecting it to be at about 7.4 um, by uh, 2020. And that's quite a non-consensus view. I think it probably is, actually. Um, but I think that, that is going to be the, the route that they take. And I think that's also consistent with, with the rather sort of um, gloomy view, if you like, that we have of the US-China trade talks, because I think China's already made it clear. And I think, you know, when we saw the renminbi move quite significantly uh, earlier this year, um, that coincided with a bit of a breakdown in the trade talks. And I think they will actually sort of say, well, we're going to allow that to happen to try to offset some of the effects of tariffs. And, and how do the Chinese authorities avoid a repeat of 2015 when the weakness or, and the perceived weakness of the currency led to significant capital outflows? Well, that's that's a really good question, and of course that was that was one of the big problems that they faced, and it will be the same problem again if once it becomes clear that uh, the authorities want to weaken the currency, then 
you do tend to see a lot of capital flowing out of China because people are worried, you know, about the loss of value there. Uh, so, so the authorities have to manage this very carefully. Um, they managed to shore up the capital accounts uh, after that episode in in 2015-2016, really by increasing capital controls. And I think, you know, this will be a real test as to whether or not those capital controls are actually sufficient for, um, you know, China to be able to move the currencies lower to be able to benefit the, the trade side without triggering, you know, a big fall in the currency as a result of capital outflows. But if, if they find that it isn't, then they will have to actually do more uh, control of the capital accounts. And, you know, the recent data has continued to show that the foreign exchange reserves are quite weak and uh, have been falling again, not as much as they did back then. But that, I think, is the key thing to watch because, you know, clearly if the, if the trade, uh, sorry, if the foreign exchange reserves are falling, that's telling you that the capital outflows are getting bigger. And if China foreign exchange reserves are falling, it implies that the Chinese are selling U.S. treasuries which would put pressure onto the bond markets. And I think in, in all this, we're assuming that there is some upside to bond yields, but it's not so significant as to be a major problem for markets generally. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a key, a key view. And, and, and clearly, you know, China having to sell foreign exchange reserves is going to be maybe adding some upward pressure there. But I think, again, the key really is coming back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, what level does the Fed need to raise interest rates to to bring inflation under control? You know, how bad will the inflation problem be uh, in this environment? Those, I think, are going to be the key drivers. Okay. So it sounds like markets for markets to stay in an even keel, there are some quite fine choices to be made oh. by governments, both in, in China and in the U.S. and Europe. Absolutely. So, yeah, policymakers are really going to be key. And, you know, concerns there that the Fed might over-tighten and cause a recession or, you know, uh, with, with China, that they, they're not able to control the capital account. These are going to be really key issues, I think, in, in 2019. Okay, so let's just wrap up for this week. Uh, first of all, on the U.S. So Keith has said that the team are looking at weaker growth in 2020 in particular. Uh, the, the election and the political difficulty of making further tax cuts will make life more difficult.